the incomparable. Number 560, April 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an episode where we're going to talk about a Star Trek movie. So probably the last Star Trek movie that we'll talk about unless they make more Star Trek movies. It is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country from 1991, uh, co-written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who, of course, directed Star Trek II. And this is the movie that they made because everybody felt really bad after Star Trek V and didn't want it to end. Don't let it end this way. <laughs> Captain, uh, do another movie so it isn't as embarrassing as the one you directed. Anyway, they made Star Trek VI, and it was a good movie, and we're going to talk about it. Joining me to talk about it are a bunch of wonderful people, including David J. Lor. Hello. Once more into the breach, Jason. Once oh, boy. More I hope not everybody quotes Shakespeare. Dan Warren is also here. Hello. <laughs> the good news is they're not going to prosecute. <laughs> I don't think that's Shakespeare. No, I don't think it is. John Moltz joins us. Hello, John. True story. The alternate title for this uh, movie was Batleth's Out. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that. Oh, man. I have thoughts about that. Erica Ensign is here. Hello. Hi. This is the weirdest, bester episode of Babylon 5 yet. Mm. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. And Stephen Schapansky joins us from near Erica. Hello. I am constant as the northern star all right we wrapped it all the way back around somebody i wasn't shake- quoting shakespeare i was quoting christopher Plummer yeah. in star trek <laughs> six. the only place in i know original, that from in the original, original klingon, klingon. Mm-hmm. please right. please so yeah star trek 5 wasn't very good we covered that on another episode if you disagree <laughs> that's fine you can like bad stuff it's fine i don't mind but then they made star trek 6 and uh i, I remember i actually saw this in in college this came out in late 1991, and it was a relief because, you know, the previous movie, <laughs> not so good. So this is a movie that it makes some interesting um, connections to the history of the period. A Klingon energy-producing moon explodes, uh, thereby causing lots of uh, e- uh, ecological fallout and, and predicting the destruction of the Klingon Empire. Basically, it's Chernobyl. And this is all a movie that's all about uh, ending the Cold War and can you make peace with the other side? And if you've defined yourself in opposition to the other side, uh, how do you get past that? And that's uh, yeah, pretty heady stuff for a, for a Star Trek movie. So we begin with uh, Sulu, who's on the USS Excelsior. Uh, Sulu's not in this movie a lot, but he gets cool stuff to do. And that's the trade-off is you get to be the captain of your own ship. And, and he doesn't have to be near Shatner. And that's it, true, too. It, it, really. If I may um, interject, Jason, really quickly, it starts off with like a three-minute overture and then an explosion, and that's... Like, and used, used over and over again later, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that visualization of the explosion of Praxis has been used and yeah. reused and, yeah. and used as an inspiration for exploding things in space for years yeah. to come. But it feels earned after after you know sitting through the entire credit roll of the movie basically, yeah, yeah. and through really great bit of music, and then it shut, it stopped, and then immediately boom, and you're right into it's the movie. It's a great jump, yeah. And the music is very um is very ominous, and and then there's yeah. an explosion. Sulu in charge of the Excelsior, which we've seen before. Uh, Scotty sabotaged it in Star Trek Three, uh, but Sulu's uh he's out there. He's he's got some tea. He's got the USS Excelsior tea set. That's really nice. And what's uh. Here, here's my first thought about this movie, which is, 
what terrible thing did Sulu do to be assigned spending years cataloging gaseous planet anomalies? <laughs> also in like a really great ship. Like it's like one of their best yeah, ships. It's and like, like, yeah, it's it's like the awesome newest, thing. most awesome ship. And it's like space, the final frontier. This is the voyages of the USS Excelsior, our five-year mission to catalog gaseous planet anomalies. <laughs> oh. I get the feeling that we we don't see all the desk work of the uh, Federation. We only get the good stuff in the movies and TV shows. Like it reminds me of what? when yeah. P- Picard in Insurrection, of going on. in Insurrection, it goes. Remember when we were explorers? As you sort of like, I like to think that they sold it to him. Minutes. As that, but 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 Sulu, <laughs> these are the anomalies, the regular gas oh. planets. We don't send anybody to, but. But the anomalies, like there's like a gas alien, I, and there's like a secret spaceship that's an anomalous, and there's like a moon with. It's a, a weird setup, though, right? Because they they set up the gaseous anomalies in order to get to the point with the, you know the tailpipe at the end. Except yeah, it's the, the wrong it's the ship. Other ship. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's one of the classic screenplay mistakes in this movie is that the setup is for the wrong ship. I wonder <laughs> how that happened in the in the in the rewrite process, but the screenplay. Everyone's I think they just they're like every ship, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. They're so all that's doing what Starfleet does. does. Yeah. So what what happened yeah. is the new president of the Federation came in, Kurt, played by Kurtwood Smith, after the old president of the Federation who we star in, saw in Star Trek Five or Star Trek Four, and Kurtwood Smith comes in. And he's like, guys, I look at this <laughs> my, map, my platform, and I see way too many anomalies. <laughs> most of them involving gaseous planets. Can Starfleet <laughs> clean up the anomalies for the next few years? I would like for my re-election campaign. I'd like to put down like look it's at all the anomalies we cleared up. <laughs> He's filling the potholes. So I want this to be known as the era of exploring anomalies. And Starfleet's like, I mean, okay, you say so, I, sir. I guess so. The CNC says that an era of serious scientific exposition exploration. I uh, two things about about Sulu ship. One, I love the giant clipboard things, which make their you know their jump from the original series where they had the clipboard things in space, and they're they're still giant here, and they're computerized, and I love it because it's stupid. Yeah, and. <laughs> Also, every single time I watch this, I get mad that nobody catches the teacup. I know. It's clearly going to fall. It clearly, it takes like 30 (laughs) seconds. Catch it. And it's very exciting when the wave comes. Although, you know, I don't think things work like that in space, but it's very exciting. And they turn it into the wave like it's a, like they're in in the ocean or something. I'm not sure that, but it's very exciting. Again, it doesn't matter. It's very exciting. So next, next is, is a funny thing. So Erica's going to say hooray which is <laughs> do we report this sir are you kidding are you kidding that's a, that's good a great line, line. Yeah, i think he's George delightful in this movie i think he's mm-hmm. i think yeah, this is, is his best work i think he's so good they missed a beat with him i know he was like potentially supposed to get like a spinoff or something and i really feel like that's a damn shame yeah. that they did not do more with him other than that is, one voyager episode yeah. They, yeah so this leads us into the main uh like spinning out of the plot that happens which is uh, we cut to a briefing room. Uh, Federation commander in chief is there. The Starfleet commander in chief, and and uh, not the Federation. Uh, Starfleet commander in chief is there, and uh, it's a meeting with lots of people plus our friends from the Enterprise. Who are like, "Why are we here?" And it fa- turns out very quickly, uh, Klingon Moon was incredibly important. Uh, it is a disaster. The Klingon Empire is going to collapse. They want to come and talk about about peace. And uh, Spock turns out to be the special envoy, and he's basically volunteered the Enterprise crew, who is like a cop in an action movie, just a few days short of retirement, to go out 
for like a thief in a heist movie one final job wow it's all the things i'm getting too old for this ship yeah exactly (laughs) and i have i so it's a great setup because it puts kirk and spock at odds a little bit it lays out the plot here which is which is the Klingons are dying. Kirk's like, why do we care? A lot of the other military people around are like, they're our enemy. We should really just take them out right now when they're weak. And other people are like, well, no, we don't really want a war. They will fight to the last man and we don't want that. So we need to to talk to them. And, and it lays out all the themes that are going to come through this movie. However, I... You know, I couldn't help every time I watch it. I can't help from wondering, what about all those other people who got invited to the meeting? It, it's a very short meeting and they're not involved in any way. So why are they even there? <laughs> yeah. Why is it? Reminder, it's classified too. Could have been an it's email. It's classified, yeah. Classified. It, there might be an impact on gaseous anomalies. Oh. He starts out saying this is this is for top brass. So my thought was that's the normal top brass who always gets together uh, and meets, and right. they are brought in as extras because they are the ones that are going right. to have to go and do the dirty work. So what do you what do you do in Starfleet? Well, I'm I'm in the top brass. Wow, are you the CNC? Well, no, I'm one of the lower top brass who goes. To, I go to the meetings, but I don't say anything. Jason, you don't you don't work at a large organization that's anymore, <laughs> so I know you're unfamiliar with the idea of useless yeah. meetings. That full meeting of looked exactly like many meetings I have been in. There are a lot of people who show up; they just sit there and they don't do anything. That's real. I want to point out. I had to run this back because I thought it was hilarious. Um, they say the <laughs> Klingon the Praxis blew up two months ago. Two months ago, yeah. a moon blew up two months ago. They managed <laughs> to keep it secret for two. Months, a moon, yeah, blue, yeah, but it's in the Klingon Empire. (laughs) How many, how many people in the Federation would have any idea of that? Dan, they kept Chernobyl secret for a while too. They sure did. Yeah, Yeah. this is the future. Come on, can you keep anything secret? (laughs) By they, I mean the Klingons. The Klingons rarely talk about Chernobyl. If it's a billion miles away, probably. Yeah. And there's one yeah. one detail I love in this scene, though, is, you know, th- so there are all these people, right? They're all around the table. And then there's that long shot as they all walk away and Kirk and Spock are standing at other opposite ends. And and off on the side, there is this table set up with a giant futuristic coffee urn and rows and rows of cups and nobody bothered to get a drink. That is That's so standard. realistic. That's so realistic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they just want to get out of there. They don't want to have snacks. They, they probably did that at like a hotel somewhere and they paid a fortune yeah. for that whole thing and they're not getting that money back. That's coming right out of the Starfleet wallet. You guys, you know, all of that, all of those cups and everything, that was all false graph stuff because they're thanked mm-hmm. in the credits. Yeah. So you get, you had to yeah. have all of that stuff. There's a moment in here for Star Trek fans that I, I appreciated in a way that I didn't before, which is there, there's a line about how if we don't help the Klingons, if we, you know, if we don't... Uh, if we allow the Klingons to, it's actually if we do help the Klingons, if we allow them sort of like access to our worlds as their whole civilization is falling apart, they will become the alien trash of the galaxy. And Ooh. that is a rough thing to say. And you're like, wow, Cartwright, that's not that great. However, now I look at it and go, oh, that's exactly what they did with the Romulans in Star Trek Picard. <laughs> it's like literally yeah. Oh, yeah. the same plot. <laughs> Also, oh, yeah. credit, you know, Brock Peters, who goes on to play uh, Ben Sisko's dad on Deep Space yeah. Nine, but also, for me, will always be the voice of Darth Vader in the Star Wars radio dramas. And he's in Star Trek Four as this character, but they yeah. bring him back. Yeah. And he had a very hard time saying those lines as well. Yeah. Because of the history involved in them, basically. Yeah. So Captain Kirk is uh, an olive branch uh basically and uh, so they've been assigned and this is going to be the big enterprise mission is they're going to go and get the the chancellor of the klingon high council and bring him uh back for a peace conference 
that uh, because the the chairman of the the or the chancellor of the high council thinks that it's time to make peace now that their empire is falling apart and they don't he doesn't want the galaxy to spiral into into war. Um, back to the Enterprise, where we meet one of our new characters because Kirstie Alley was unwilling to return as Savic. Robin Curtis probably wasn't asked back as Savic nope. because she was terrible <laughs> in Star Trek Three, and so we get Kim Cattrall. Uh, you might know her from Mannequin. Yep. Yes, that is that is exactly. <laughs> That's probably where, where you know her from. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. she is Valeris. Never went on to do anything else. Nope. This no, was her last part. Uh, the uh, she is a, a Vulcan. Uh, very similar to Savic, but Valeris, and she is a, a Spock protege, um, and she, because she's a, a Vulcan, she speaks with a, a, a monotone voice, and I, I'm sorry, Kim Cattrall, but I can't help but think of the Thermians in Galaxy Quest every time she says things in this opening scene, because <laughs> oh, it's very no. much like, hello there, Captain... <laughs> Uh, she gets a little bit better as the I movie. I didn't. Goes. I didn't notice that at all. I, I was amused <laughs> to uh, to read in the uh, the production notes that because I, I recognized like early on it being like a stickler for like weird details. Like, why is her uniform so wrong? It's like, yep, they just cobbled together with all the extra pieces of uniform. So she has like a commander pin, even though she's a lieutenant. Her shirt is red when it should be basically anything that is not red. Yeah. <laughs> underneath the uniform, they just like <laughs> we're like, oh, this is what we got lying well, around. We put it together. This That's movie fine. was made because Star Trek Five did so badly. This on movie was made cheap. on a very low budget, and they and and um, surprisingly I, good for what that I mean, budget it doesn't is. feel yeah. like it though. I, you know? I guess I, I should yeah. mention it here. Um, this is as good a time as any to mention it. This is the first Star Trek movie that really is feeling the effects of the existence of the Star Trek television series production that had spun up in the eighties, uh, in the late eighties. And so one of the things that you will notice here, of course, the obvious one is Michael Dorn plays Colonel Worf and there are references to Kittimer. And these are all things out of the next generation that were integrated into this. Star Trek V was made when Next Generation was on the air, but they were sort of happening in parallel and they also sort of looked down on them. But at this point, TNG was, one, actually pretty successful. So they thought it might be good to make some connections and Leonard Nimoy made an appearance on TNG to promote this movie. But the other thing that was big is Herman Zimmerman is the production designer of Star Trek Six, in large part because he's the production designer on Star Trek The Next Generation and they reused all the TNG sets. The transporter oh, yeah. is the same transporter. Wow. The battle bridge is the Excelsior. Uh, and it, Where they eat dinner is the conference room. Conference yep. room. The, yeah. the president's so, office yeah. is the part of 10 forward. So when you, wow. when you look, if you, if, you, if you know that you can and you remember TNG, you can spot it. And that was one of the ways they saved a lot of money is that they and to be fair, <laughs> TNG she used some Star Trek movie sets because they were paramount. Oh man, do those guys know how to clip a coupon? Woo! But uh, yeah, <laughs> share and share alike. Yeah. So, uh, so, so some of that will be familiar. But it is, you know, they were they were cutting corners and saving money um, in order to do a movie that, yeah, it doesn't look cheap, but it is, you know, it, it's not expansive. They are, you know, they're 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 trying to to marshal their resources as much as they can. They did, speaking of uh, of uh, all of the, I didn't know we were going to be talking about glassware in here, but not, in addition to <laughs> Sulu's- Mostly stoneware. Yeah, okay, that's true. In, in addition to St- Sulu's mug, though, we have Spock's super weird, uh, <laughs> I like wine yes. so much, I got a glass thing with grapes on it, glass that he puts stuff in that he drinks with Valeris. 
he went on a trip to Flemington, New Jersey, and went to the glass blowing places <laughs> and just really liked the shape of that thing. It's intriguing, fascinating. You should see his collection of poodles. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it's a uh, that leads us into Spock does have the scene with Valeris where he's obviously his, her mentor and and uh, would be proud of her if uh, that was an emotion that they had, but uh, right, they don't. Um, and, and, uh, and, and there's that conversation here that she, that is in hindsight, very important to the plot, which is, you know, she, uh, is not so open to the Klingon thing. And, and, and Spock says something surprising for Spock, which is logic, logic, logic. I found that logic is the beginning of the wisdom, uh, beginning of wisdom, not the end. And it's one of these interesting, uh, like it's the hint of a long running dynamic between a, a mentor uh, and and his protege, where they butt heads on some things, and he's so wise because he's he's old. This is the last, you know, theoretically the last original crew movie, and so you know all of them have sort of seen everything. <laughs> it just occurred to me that he's echoing his mother because his mother says that in uh, Journey to Babel. Yeah, right? she goes, yeah, she gets mad at both of them. She says, logic, logic, logic. <laughs> oh wow! And he's and it's Spock has learned a lot, right? This is the. He's been dead before. That's a line that happens later. Uh, he's learned a lot, yeah. and he he's not inflexible. And and she's a presumably, you know, it's a, I assume pure Vulcan and like straight up. I'm not going to have emotions and all of those things. And uh, they obviously have uh, have but butted heads about it. Um, but he does. He says, "I intend you to replace me. I could only succeed you, sir." She says and drinks the weird whatever that is in that glass. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is such a great moment. It's Manischewitz, mm. everybody. It's fine. <laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Technology Untangled. It's a podcast hosted by an English fellow named Michael Bird. Delightful accent. Um, if you like technology, if you like sort of science and explanations and things like that, this is a podcast you might want to listen to. It ciphers text, rapid evolutions, with one question that it keeps in mind, what's really going to shape our future and what's going to end up in the bargain bin with the floppy disk? Now, I listened to an episode of Technology Untangled. Uh, it made me laugh because one of the things it says is perhaps artificial intelligence was even used to refer you to this podcast. But if you're listening to me and then you go listen to it, I assure you it was actual intelligence not artificial at all, because I'm not an artificial intelligence. Anyway, it's a science podcast. It's a tech podcast, uh, documentary style, pleasant British accent presenter. Uh, past guests have included people from Google, from Red Bull Racing, the New York Times, Nokia. And just to give you an idea of episode topics, you can expect a deep dive into 5G, who, what's, why's, and how's of 5G, all those G's. What does it mean for you? Supercomputers how they're helping with the fight against COVID, sifting through billions of molecules to look for drugs to repurpose. And of course, as I said, AI and the future of jobs. There's even an episode about missions to Mars. I mean, there's so much going on here. Search for Technology Untangled anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there will be a link in the show notes. Thank you, Technology Untangled, for your pleasant British accent, and most importantly, for supporting me incomparable. Bringing up Next Generation, I want to say, like, this is is creatively... 
the when they put the script together, they know now that the next generation has defined that in the future the Federation and the Klingons are not enemies. Yeah, they're it's kind of a prequel, isn't it? Yeah, they're kind of allies and all of that. And and, and it, if it not, fills in those blanks. And, and so what we get again for the only time essentially in an original cast Star Trek movie, they actually start looking. This is the first time where they look back at the. TNG canon and tried to work toward it. And so we we know the Klingons are friendish in the future in TNG. And so they build that dynamic here with like we're gonna tell you essentially the story of how they got there. And I, I think that's uh I think that's really interesting. Feels a little MCU-ish. It's like we're actually building a world here, like where it's <laughs> stuffed on the TV shows, impact stuff yeah. on the it was like ahead of its time in some ways. Yeah, and TNG, yeah. you know, was mining the canon, right? Because they could do that. That was the whole point. Is like it's like Star Trek, but in the future and they made reference to the now there's a conversation but here right? yeah exactly right this is the one time because i got the sense that they first off that they all felt kind of offended because it wasn't their star trek and the actors and all of that and they're like well what, what's going on over there and you know are they going to supplant us and why didn't they offer us those jobs no we wouldn't have taken them but why didn't they offer the, us those <laughs> jobs and all of that and then in this one it very much feels like oh that's legitimate star trek and that's part of the conversation and we want and we're we're passing the torch we're handing off the baton so let's tell that story that we can tell about like how they went in that direction and and it and you know yeah putting michael dorn in the movie and uh, making reference to kitimer as part of it but like the whole plot is sort of sort of that and as an audience member watching it if you were watching tng you're like oh like this is how it happens because how do we justify uh, Kirk, you know, and his crew being the enemies of the Klingons and then Picard and having Worf on the bridge. Like, how do we do that? And if, if you were paying attention to both those things, Star Trek Six has has an answer. I don't think I was paying close attention to those things, but I think I noticed it all the same because that's one of the main reasons why I love this movie so much is because I find it really fascinating to watch how a, a culture, but, you know, a culture in miniature being the the people on this ship that we know and love so much, making that shift, or at least you know moving toward making that shift right. throughout the the course of of the film, I think that's just so fascinating and so interesting. And you know, character development is like that's that's my jam, that's my thing. And I feel like we get the 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 biggest shift, the biggest development of these characters here in this movie. It's great. Yeah, this is this is easily the biggest uh, character leap that Kirk makes. Because, like, you know, he learns something in, in Wrath of Khan, and he immediately goes backwards on it and, and search for Spock. So it's like, okay, well, forget that. Didn't learn a thing. And um, this is the first time, yeah, he is he is actually faced with the Kobayashi Maru. He has to be friends with the Klingons. It's their last movie, right? If you ever are going right. to be able to have major character <laughs> development yeah. changes, <laughs> why not now? Do it now. Mm-hmm. If I have a, a criticism of this in the gentlest of ways, it's that this would have worked so much better if the audience had no knowledge of, oh, Worf's our friend and we've learned a lot about Klingon culture and they're actually not so bad. And we, you know, they're actually, they need to be, they're not baddies, right? They're, it's richer than that. And like, it undercuts the journey. We don't have, we already took the journey that these characters have to take. And I think, I think actually Star Trek Six would have been better in that way, if the audience also had to be dragged to under along with the, the the crew to to understand the Klingons, for me, for the this being my gateway to Star Trek, it kind of was. <laughs> I didn't have any baggage going into this. Like, oh, cool. Klingons, they're so bad. Klingons. Why? Yeah. Why would you? They're they're up to something. They're bad. And the answer is, yeah. no, they're not. I mean, some of them are bad, but some of us are bad. So yeah. And and the nice the nice thing about this compared to the original series 
is that, yeah, we actually get a variety of Klingons in this one. We don't often get a range of, of Klingons. And many of them are very different than the Star yeah. Trek The Next Generation ones, right? right? I mean, like Gorkon and and his daughter and, and Chang are not very much like the, the Klingons that we see in The Next Generation. Right, and you get like there there's the ambassador, right? Or some point, or the judges, like and the lawyers and all yeah. that. And you're right. like, yeah. I yeah, I mean, like, again, and thing, I think the thing that we've talked about on other episodes of Star Trek shows, like the, the entire society could not be Klingon warriors. That yeah. would make no the sense. Space would not function. Yeah. Yeah. Now we we talk a lot about space racism on the incomparable, and I, yep. I feel like it's it's like it's such a sci-fi shorthand to say, oh, we met a new race, and they're all like this, and it's like, okay, yeah. do you know how? I mean, we joke about space racism, but it's literally racism. Like it's oh, oh yeah. all people Societies of all kinds don't work that way are exactly the same. It's like no, 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 no. So the more nuance you get, and here we get lots of different Klingon types. We get the sense we know from TNG that there's a lot more going on here, but in this movie it's like it, the politics are complicated they're coming from different angles there's the military they got like a ship over here that's doing a thing to a ship over there like it is it is not monolithic and that honestly you could argue like to somebody like steven who was sort of fresh to it like that complexity is like oh wow the klingons there's a lot going on there uh, you know from a from tos it's sort of like they're all the same they're just bad guys don't worry about it yeah. too much and it's, and this movie says no it's way more complicated than that this this one is great because it gives you a great Klingon warrior who is also clearly a theater queen. And I mean that in the <laughs> highest complimentary sense. All right. We let's meet the Klingons since we're at this point in the movie. Uh we meet <laughs> going to dinner. We meet yeah, we, we meet dun, 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 dun. Uh, so David Warner is Welcome back, David Warner. Is is yeah. Gorkon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Who suffered through we, Star Trek. We're, we're not gonna leave you like that. He's literally in the last <laughs> movie and they brought him back. Uh but he is great as Gorkon. Uh, it's so sad he only really has two scenes in the movie, but they're they're so good and he's so good in them. So we meet him, he's the he's the one he also has the best voice. He, David Warner has yeah. a great voice. And the gore yeah. is Gorbachev. He is the he is going to do the perestroika and also the glasnost with the other side with the Federation. He is the Gorbachev figure you're here uh we also meet his daughter who i think is a hilarious character because she's clearly been to one of the most prestigious klingon universities where she's learned a lot of uh left-wing talking points and she's gonna <laughs> let the federation hear it and oh, i yes. love it it's like oh eve everything you say is racist gah <laughs> I love it. I love. I love her. She's and, not uh, wrong. She's not no. wrong. She's not. Yeah. But yeah. you can also see like her. Her father is probably like, oh, again, why did we send her there? Right. Like just a well, little bit. There's um, probably some like there's probably some Klingon like scandal or something. Her mom is probably in Ruripente for like buying her way in. For buying her, her like, way in. Lori Loughlin <laughs> right. did here for her. Yeah. She's actually calling out our heroes, and she's right. Oh, she is yep. right, yeah. and I love yeah. that. But the way the way the actress plays it, it's very much like I was in yes. college and. We learned a lot of things, and you just why why does it why does the hegemony not register with you people? Right? It's just yeah. when, she, when I was getting my second graduate. Oh, degree. I love it. I love it because she's not wrong. She's absolutely not and wrong. Kirk, well, yeah. and Kirk later, Kirk later tries to like explain it away by saying, "You know what? Everyone's human," and he's wrong. No, right? <laughs> yeah, he's right. wrong at that point. She's still I, right. She's still right. <laughs> and then the other Klingon we meet is is uh, General Chang, Christopher Plummer. Oh, and yeah. uh, he's got. <laughs> patch and a glare and he quotes shakespeare in the original klingon or he doesn't and because top knot no but he does it, it's better he says the, basically he, to ta, be or ta, not to be in top yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we get all that that's great can i, can I just 
say that when Christopher Plummer died, uh, in the middle of a pandemic and everything else that was going on, CBC News went hard on Christopher Plummer coverage for two and a half straight hours, wow. no commercial breaks. That man is a national treasure. So when he passed, I was very sad and not enough people talked about his role in this because he's just fabulous. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's Star Trek, right? He's so people are like, so he good. was in a Star Trek? Why did he do that? Did he do it for the money and all that? And it's like, <laughs> well, first off, the part was written for him. That's awful flattering as an actor when you've got Nicholas Meyer yeah. coming to you and being like, <laughs> I wrote like, this part for you. And they, was buddies with Shatner too, And, right? and they grew up I on mean, the stage in Montreal, in Montreal together. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. And and also like I, I he quotes Shakespeare and Chang Chang is a really he's the baddie but he's also a super interesting character in a way that w- let's just say a lot of modern Star Trek movies miss that, right? The Star Trek 2 mm-hmm. got it right with that Khan was kind of an interesting character and some of the the scenery chewing baddies in later Star Trek movies miss like that they're also a character but but Chang is interesting and has interesting things to say and i can see why christopher Plummer played him and he does an amazing job mm-hmm. yeah. yeah when i think about this movie if 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 i wanted to be really glib i'd say this is the movie where christopher Plummer chews up all the scenery shatner can't get to mm-hmm. and it's great to watch them fight over <laughs> fight over the scraps yeah. it's so much fun there's um there's also the uh, Plummer and warner reprise these roles in the Klingon Academy game from 2000. I found this on YouTube. I had never mm-hmm. played it, but I they have there's a scene with the two of them from this game, and they're they're in costume and everything. And you know, it's like it's from you know, what nine years later they came back and did it again. And it's a pretty good scene. I mean, there's a lot of like name dropping that has to do with the game, I guess. But <laughs> you know, the two of them, of course, are delightful, and they're you know you get you get more time with the two of them. And like Khan, Khan always had just like one single minded thing. Chang, I would be interested in learning more about him. He's just fascinating on his own. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be the bad guy. So not to get not to be all uh, like Gorkhan's daughter on all of y'all, but uh, <laughs> if you if you take a big step back here, what is this movie about? In one level, on one level, this movie is about the entrenched military and the military-industrial complex refusing to go along with the desires of the politicians and the uh, civilian leadership to broker peace because it's bad for them, right? And we get that in that scene, uh, the classified briefing scene, where all this, there's that line of like, what are you going to mothball Starfleet? And it's like, well, Starfleet doesn't just fight things. We also explore things. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? Because they're viewing, <laughs> they're viewing it all through the world Spoken of- like a stupid fighter guy. Of, of yeah. military, you know, it's all about the military. And then- Chang is that too. Chang is the is the the Russian army general, right? Who is like, what do you mean we're not going to do the Cold War anymore, right? Like, no, no, no. I have a lot I of put power all my here chips too. on Cold War. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. All warriors are cold warriors in space, Captain. So uh, I, I think that's fascinating because well, love- it is. They're the they're the fighters, and they're two. Re- One is like, how do you feel emotionally when you're told you don't need to be a fighter anymore? The other prob- problem is. Your power comes from you being a fighter, so you're going to resist peace. Right. Well, yeah. and there's that whole thing where uh, Kirk, this is where you see Kirk growing, is, you know, he, he's, he's the one who says, well, signal our surrender or, you know, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We have to we have to move forward. And he is the one who learns from this story where Chang is the one who by the end is like, aren't you glad we get to do it this way, Kirk? And Kirk is like, 
Not really. <laughs> At the risk of being, you know, pulling out the old trope, they're two sides of the same coin. We're not so different, yeah. you and I, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Like, they are, <laughs> in, you know. In another film, we could have been friends. Yeah, yeah, Kirk, I mean, Kirk is the one, as David said, who adapts and who realizes that, that they have to change, whereas Chang is the one who's like, yeah, we're good. All warriors are cold warriors. Uh, Homo sapiens only club all the way. We have the, basically it's the disastrous dinner. Guess who's coming to dinner? Well, it's the Klingons and here it is. It's a disaster. You knew it was bad when they started, when they started out with that electronic bosun's whistle. Yeah, it's not <laughs> what it's like, is that about? Come on. Why not just get a regular whistle? Well, yeah. I mean, the whistle. No, it's a future whistle, John. They're not even there. <laughs> it's a space they, they whistle. They blow the whistle before they beam in, so they don't hear the whistle. Like, why? No, why do you even do that? They can't so, use a regular whistle because there's no the air in space. Are so they have, they have the banquet. They serve Romulan ale. It doesn't go well. They have they fight. Kirk drinks his first glass of Romulan ale very quickly and gets a second <laughs> glass. Uh, and and of course, then later. Says that they're uh, that what something Chang has said about breathing room is Hitler. That's a great scene oh, because of Leonard Nimoy's yes. look at, yeah. at oh, Kirk at that point, where he's just like, because he Whoa, brokered this whole Jim. thing. He he vouched yeah. personally for them, and then this is happening, and then comes, I think some of the best dialogue in Star Trek, and it's all David Warner. First, yes. first, mm. I love the line. Well. I see we have a long way to go. I love I love the well like it's such a moment like well that went anyway. he's seen things. I'm having dinner at the children's table. Oh, it's so good cuz he's not first off he's he's acknowledging how bad this was and also that he doesn't care and he's going to keep going. And then um and then also the line our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it, right? That that mm. that is a is a wonderful moment for from uh, Gorkon. Yeah. So it just in yeah. in two scenes David Warner's so great in in all of this. Oh, he he owns the movie. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I love I love 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 David Warner and I I love him I think just because of this movie. I don't know what the first thing is that I saw him in, but I think it was probably this and like i have always remembered this as like one of my favorite david warner performances and i every time i watch this movie i am always shocked at how quickly he is he is out of it yeah because his his i think because he has such great lines and also because you know the the sort of the specter of his character looms over the rest of of the movie and and the things that he wanted but uh, because he is so freaking fantastic in this one scene and this one scene is so important to setting everything else up i forget every time that he's going to be gone like it doesn't matter because he's still he's still the best this episode of the incomparable is brought to you in part by express vpn a few decades ago it was easy to be private there was no internet i bought my house in 1999 uh boy there was some privacy then it's gone now um data is being analyzed by everything uh, artificial intelligence actual intelligence it can be crawled through collected aggregated put together a little piece from here a little piece from there stick it together now we know who you are we know what you like in an era when everything is online everyone can be a public figure you don't want to be you want to keep your data private here's something you could do you can use a vpn like expressvpn there are hundreds of data brokers out there they are buying and selling personal data Worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to. One of those data points is your IP address, which can be used to uniquely identify you, your location. If your whole family is using one cable modem, guess what? They can identify your family from that single IP address. In ExpressVPN's case, though, your connection will get rerouted through an encrypted server. Your IP address changes. It's masked. They won't know who it is. So when you turn on ExpressVPN, you get that random IP address 
shared by all sorts of other ExpressVPN customers. Hard to pin you down. Uh, hard to identify you individually and to harvest your data. And it's super easy to use. It works on pretty much any device you can think of, a phone, a laptop, a smart TV. One tap and you're protected. I use this on my iPad all the time. One tap, boom, I'm on the VPN. My IP address has changed. I am somewhere else, somewhere else in California, somewhere else in the United States, somewhere else in the world, doesn't matter. And if I'm using somebody's Wi-Fi or even if I'm at home, I can have people not see that I'm on my particular Comcast Wi-Fi because I'm using ExpressVPN. So if you believe your data is your business, secure yourself. Use the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name, and you'll get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Snell. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more. And thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting The Incomparable. Now we get our murder mystery plot point, which is they go back to the ship. Thank God they're gone. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's very funny. But uh, then they can't go to sleep because there's a there's like something weird happening and there's a radiation surge and neutron and they have, yeah they have to come to the bridge uh, and a torpedo is fired seemingly from the Enterprise um, <sighs> and they don't understand and then another one and some assassins in uh, spacesuits from the Federation uh, beam on board the ship and they shoot a lot of Klingons. Um, leaving behind, they shoot off one guy's arm, leaving behind a yeah. convenient witness to say that there were Federation <laughs> people there. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the plan, people. And then they uh, they assassinate David David Warner. I remember the blood oh, so being sad. so much more impressive, which made me a little sad. Like rewatching it now, no, I was I like, don't. oh man, I thought it was super cool <laughs> at the time. I was ten. <laughs> it was I... nineteen ninety one. These are early days. Dan's, for Dan's getting younger as he watches this movie. It's, it's zero gravity blood. That it would look weird. It is also early CGI, so it does look weird. But, but you know. I love the idea of it. Yeah. I just hated the color. I mean, like I, I was like, the hot I, pink. I, I, yeah, I wanted to bring, you know, here's my hubba bubba gum and my Nestle quick, like strawberry quick. And like, on the just... other hand, I love the idea that Klingons would be like, maybe really embarrassed that their blood was hot pink. <laughs> like, oh, it's fine. It's very, it's very honorable. Weren't they told to change it or something? Like, didn't it was originally going to be red or something? It was going to be green. And then, and then Nick Meyer was like, wait a yeah. second. Green blood well, is Vulcan. Well, it can't be red, red. Cause I'm going to have to probably get like a PG 13 or. Yeah. yeah, yeah I had heard they were yeah. going to yeah. get a higher yeah, that rating. That was part of it. Right? It, yeah. If yeah. it was red blood, they need a higher rating. Gory. Yeah. All this terrible stuff happens um, and the crew is sort of watching it happen from the bridge and they don't know what's going on. It's late at night and they just had this terrible, disastrous uh, dinner party. They're all hung over. And they're all, or drunk. <laughs> they may not even <laughs> yes. be hung over yet, right? Yeah, um, they're still. And, and they, they're going to, um, and they're like, he's dead. We're going to, we're going to, or he's not dead. He, you, you attacked us. We're going to attack you. And, and they, Kirk says, we surrender. Pull you out of the stars. Kirk has Kirk. that moment where he's like, we surrender. You know, I'm going to follow my orders here. We're not going to get in a fight. We don't know what's happened here. We're going to surrender, um, and we're going to go over there now. Um, the, the something big happens next, but I just want to point out a few things here. Most notably, I just want to ask everybody, uh, why, why are there giant clocks all over the bridge of the Enterprise? Anybody? <laughs> I think be- it's probably. I, I was thinking that uh, it's probably ship time. I imagine that you know you got to know when but you're on no ship. No other I Star imagine... Trek has giant clocks everywhere. Maybe no, they should. I appreciate it. Yeah. But this, 
this is a mystery writer plotting a movie. Yeah. And it's to establish mm-hmm. that without saying. We talked about hey, this too, which is like, aha, but at 2.30 yeah. a.m. you were here, right? Like, but it's and just very funny. And they do that in this. It's very funny. And somebody, yeah. somebody earlier mentioned uh, Batleth's out. And uh, this does begin the portion of the story that is, I would say, delightfully, so delightfully so that I wish that that I would see it again in Star Trek, is the murder mystery thing yes. that happens mm-hmm. it's uh the part of, of the plot is just kind of a murder mystery and it's great and it is i wrote i literally wrote down oh this is just knives out now knives out also involves shoes and blood stains <laughs> well you know <laughs> christopher Plummer's like that's how i got caught last time yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was the story meeting he's, he's like ryan are you aware that <laughs> This is essentially Star Trek Six, and it's like no one will notice. No one will notice. <laughs> no one will notice. We've, we've got a telepodcast. Weird voice. It much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you've got you've got Nick Meyer who's written several uh, Sherlock Holmes novels. You're right. Yeah. And, oh no, he's even, into it. He makes multiple references. You know, the games of foot, which is mm-hmm. also from Shakespeare. But you know, especially Spock saying, "There's an ancestor of mine who." famously said <laughs> yes. if you eliminate yeah. whatever if you eliminate the impossible whatever remains however improbable must be true which means spock thinks he's descended from either sherlock holmes <laughs> yeah, or sir arthur conan doyle we're left to decide <laughs> yeah. or whoever only nixon said only nixon yes. could go to china yeah. <laughs> or he thinks Vulcan's he's descended from nicholas meyer <laughs> yeah there, you, there go. you go i do feel like that that maybe they should have introduced at least another new character to the film that plays a mm. semi-important role. So it's like, who could be up to this? Maybe it's the one new character, mm-hmm. unless Chekhov is turning, unless yeah. that would be the twist. I think that's an effect of the fact that, that it was supposed to be Savic, and then Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because, th- and this is something that, as soon as I found that out a couple of years ago, this movie would have been so much more devastating and so much more effective if it had been Savic. Right. Because, yeah. exactly, you don't have the guest star problem, and you have that whole there, there's a, a whole callback of a lie, an omission, right? Mm-hmm. A lie, uh, uh, and I forget a choice. What she says at the a, end. choice. a choice, a choice, well. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and those are all callbacks to Savic in it, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and Alas. you know this well. is a good plot too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like it's like when you I watched Murder suspect. She Wrote, and I would guess who the killer yeah. was from the guest list, right? You just go, oh, there's one person on the ship who's new that actually gets lines. Yeah. That's the bad it's, guy. It's it's yeah. Bruce Boxleitner this week. Yeah, and, <laughs> yes. I mean, but there are there are multiple people, right? And yeah. they get and they get Cartwright as well, who is you, you're at least you know. I mean, if you have any idea right. who he is, you have to. Well, get yeah, his, kind of his it, turn is right. Good. But on the yes. on the yeah. ship, like who is involved in in sending those guys yes. there? And it's either somebody you've never seen before, or it's Valeris. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, we, we have Shelley Long and her self-inflated sense of uh, importance, thinking she could have a movie career, thus leaving Cheers and bringing Kirstie Alley in, who became a star and thus turned down future Star Star Treks. Otherwise, she would still be there. Oh, Shelley Long, why did you do this to us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in this moment, we get we get the nice thing that is very obvious when you rewatch it, but at the time you first see it, you don't notice it at all, which is Kirk's like, we're going to beam over there. And Spock says, perhaps you're right, which, by the way, is his go-to line from Star Trek 2, right? Where he gets McCoy mm-hmm. to look away and then he he does the little mm-hmm. uh, mind meld thing and goes in and sacrifices himself. He here, he says, perhaps you're right. He's like, I'm going to stick this thing right on your <laughs> this shoulder. Giant, this this giant, completely noticeable thing. Yeah. I love the idea that the tracking patches are so huge and like nowadays and you know, like people plant them on people all the time and they're teeny tiny microscopic little things. Yeah. I don't know what the Klingons are going to do to Kirk, but they're not going to take his jacket. Yeah, no, they would never do not. that. That would be dishonorable. Yeah. <laughs> 
and if you watch it carefully, it's very carefully shot so that yeah. you see Kirk's shoulder, yes, a lot. and yeah. then you see him it's... do the hand, and then when he turns to go in the turbo lift, you see the patch. It's, and you're like, it's so hmm. obvious that it, it reminds me of the the code from Star Trek Two, where they you know say if hours if we would seem go like, seem like days, and it's yeah. like yeah, Khan's yeah. a, a brilliant nor- person, and he does not get this simple code. <laughs> you guys, a, a way normal people talk. I yeah. could, was, I. I completely missed it. <laughs> oh, if it was made today, they would have done a zoom in and there'd be a slow motion and yes. it would go like that. Yeah. Flash back to yeah. it later. Then I probably wouldn't have missed it. But yeah, yeah. this time I had I had seen yeah. this movie. It's been long long enough ago that I didn't remember what the like how they they managed to to track them down. And and yeah, I was like, Spogmate has that line about just just after that about how you know we'll be able to find them. And I was like, how how, how is he going to be able to? So <laughs> I learned when bones well, learned. <laughs> I think I think you're not supposed to notice that when he's doing yes. it. I think the whole point is that they're playing fair. And so when you watch yeah. the movie yes. back, you see it. And my head canon, by the way, is is like, well, of course, it he's laying the patch on there, which releases the nanobots, which go down all the layers and even onto Kirk's back. So there's plenty of ways that no matter what they do to him, I'll be able to track him. All the Klingons when he goes on to the Chancellor's ship, none of them. I guess they're all like. I guess that's just part of the uniform. I don't know why the other yeah. guy doesn't have it, but right. I guess that's yeah, just part of the they got a hole. They patch it. Over. The poor Federation. Yeah. They don't have many jackets, so they have to <laughs> patch the ones they've got. So they beam yeah. over, and uh, and they're allowed to because their surgeon has been killed. They're allowed to to uh, try to save Gorkon, and and except McCoy doesn't know anything about Klingon anatomy. Probably a, a problem, uh, and he's going to die. But but McCoy brings him back briefly, and he has a final message in David Warner's last line. Uh, he says to Kirk, "Don't let it end this way, Captain." Which is again such a great uh, way that David Warner phrases it, and it's so good. And they're immediately arrested. They're put in handcuffs. Uh, they're uh, they're taken away. And when we cut back to the Enterprise, it's it's knives out Star Trek again because it's like we must find evidence to prove that they didn't do it and find the real killer and off we go. And again, it's a great moment where you see Kirk growing when, when he reaches up and pulls him down and says, you know, don't let it end this way. And there's that moment of, this is not the Klingon I know. This is, mm-hmm. I'm not used to this. What's yeah. What yeah, is going I, on? He's, he's for real. Holy cow. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> it's not so much that he's drunk or dazed at this point as just, what is happening as they're arresting them and putting cuffs on them. And, and he's just like, and you can see him thinking. And I love to see actors thinking or characters thinking. His heart grew three, three sizes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why McCoy could not fix him. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I put this thing down, this metal thing in his heart, but like it was too big. Surely the that inflammation. Works. <laughs> that always works. Too much. It's not Gorkon. <laughs> oh, uh, there's a scene that I love, which is the, uh, is well well in addition at the end of the the knives out we need evidence scene um there's a great transition where uh spock says well in that case it'll be in the province of the diplomats and he raises his eyebrow like oh boy (laughs) the diplomats cut to john shuck the angry klingon ambassador from star trek 4 who is back baby (laughs) to say to yell things again about how terrible everybody is in the federation and kirk and you must it's so good i love that they brought that guy back i I remember when this movie when i first saw it and i was like oh like the angry ambassador from Star Trek. It's great. I love him. <laughs> He's so angry. Yeah, and Kurtwood Smith is not above the law uh, as, as our very strange alien uh, Federation president. And Sarek is there. Also, and the Romulan is there. 
He has great. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right. so good. Come yeah. on, oh, those are fantastic. Yeah, I love love that. The, it, the scene is sort of just what do the diplomats do? And it's like, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna prevent in the interest of peace. We're not gonna prevent them from being put on trial. Um, the uh, the Enterprise is told to report back, but Valeris knows trivia about the origin of the word sabotage, which she shares. <laughs> Uh, and uh, everybody's been to college in this movie. At least all the. Oh ladies. man! <laughs> if this were a J.J. Abrams version, she would have said, "As the Beastie Boys once said." Ah, yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> as you must and, fight and Spock would for be like, right. uh, Yes, I, I boy, Captain Kirk won't stop talking about sabotage. Ugh. Um, uh, there is. We get the Klingon show trial scene, which is fun because it's so obviously rigged. This- this scene is great, and I will oh say, my God. for no other reason than I love that they give them the little translators just so they can have a Adlai Stevenson yeah. don't wait for the translation right. moment. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, wait, which is so dramatic, right? Moment. Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. <laughs> it's so, it's so Takes good. Takes shoe off, but... starts banging it. Oh, yeah. my. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so good. Also, you know, I feel bad because... Our, our TNG actor Michael Dorn is here as Colonel Worf. He is the defense attorney for for McCoy and Kirk, and like uh, he's just he, he has to go up against Christopher Plummer, which he's, like yeah. I'm just legal aid. I'm sure I'm sure Michael Dorn <laughs> was the like maybe the, one of the highlights of his career to act opposite Christopher Plummer. But essentially, right. we, you know, this is this is all rigged, and every he's like, please, how my clients, and they're like, nah. Forget it's it. funny too because yeah. every single point he makes is, of course, a great point. He's like, all of this yes. is literally yeah. circumstantial. Yeah. Like, man, whatever. <laughs> Shuffle yeah, off. I'll allow it. I assume there, there's a there's an episode of Enterprise that has it features you know uh, what's his face um, go, getting tried by Klingons as well, and it go, goes into the backstory of like the barrister who's trying to defend him, but like but knows that he's, he's it's a useless cause. Um, and I assume that it you know that they got the idea from this movie. <laughs> there's also a very <laughs> funny episode there... of Lower Decks yes. where there's a show trial that is very oh. much just a riff yes. on this scene and yep. a yep. very yep. extremely <laughs> unfair alien show trial. So people should check that out. But yeah, it's 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 fun. It's a DS9 one too, where Worf is basically shoots down a uh, a Klingon like civilian ship and has to go on trial and has Ron Canada as a Klingon lawyer, which is also pretty great. There's a lot of good. Uh, there's like a Hunt for Red October moment a couple of times in this movie where like they they speak Klingon for a while and they're like that's enough Klingon now we're gonna start speaking English and here we get that moment where they where we hear the translators and then we cut back to Christopher Plummer and now he's speaking in English, which is a very nice. Uh, a nice little moment uh, as the Enterprise giant, watches ugly it. Subtitles clearly, right? As the Enterprise watches it all on Klingon CNN, apparently, uh, which is <laughs> you know everywhere. You I, I like I like the moment when Bones makes a joke, mm-hmm. and you're thinking one, <laughs> not now Bones, and two, <laughs> one of the right. Klingons they're not going to laugh at it, and there's one guy, one guy. somewhere <laughs> out there who laughs at it, and he smiles. And he's just like, he's like, I got yeah, it, I got a Klingon yeah. laugh. Oh, comeback is also yeah. Who among us, though? Who among us hasn't done that? <laughs> the comeback is that you have a singular wit, Doctor, which I really yes. enjoy, too, because yes. it sort of smacks me up. Yeah. Also, I read the trivia bit about this where they couldn't, to make it, like, they shot this in miniature, and all the yep. Klingons are oh, yeah. wharf, wharf action figures. Wharf dolls, yeah. <laughs> the moment when the, the, they laugh, though, like, and Bones smiles like, I got him. It's like, dude. 
you are on trial on, and you're going to be sent to the gulag. What are now, you doing? Afterwards, he's like, worth it. I'm sure he used it thinking, yep. Yeah. Oh, like, totally. on the, yeah, on the shuttle to Repente, he turns to Kirk and he's like, did you hear them laugh at my joke? Yep. <laughs> if I could entertain one guy, him. I'm oh, happy. Could, I'm good, couldn't Jim. save the chancellor and keep us out of prison, but boy, I landed that line. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, the Excelsior, I should mention the USS Excelsior also gets Klingon CNN. So well, it's uh, Sulu yeah. and Rand it's part of the, and all the bridge part of the basic cable practice. It's a basic Jason. Federation cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get Some that. space cable. It's good. You got you to gotta get that. The satellite. They're going to be sent to Ruripenthe, the terrible prison colony. But uh, first, we get some more uh, mystery investigating on the Enterprise. Spock, of course, points out his that he's descended from either Doyle or Holmes or Nick Meyer, the <laughs> screenwriter of this movie. Uh, they figure they, they do the kind of reasoning out like, well, it could be a, co- a cloaked ship or to pray. They're not supposed to be able to fire, but maybe they did. Uh, it, it's a very nice little, like stepping through the concepts of the mystery, which they're like, they've obviously been distracted by the show trial, but now they're getting back down to business. And they're, and, and that's a really nice scene where Spock says, you know, we they they modified the logs to make it seem like we fired torpedoes, but we know we have all our torpedoes, which means that something is here, right? Like either 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 this is not here or this is here, but either way, something is here. Either the person who who modified the logs is here, the murder weapon is here, something is here, and Valeris suggests a pair of gravity boots is what they're really looking for. The murderers gravity boots are going to be the secret the smoking to gun if you will the yeah. game is afoot yep sure well was. and very much if if you start from the point of view that oh guest star character on ship who has a name that we've never met before if you start from the premise that this is more columbo than it is sherlock <laughs> holmes and it does it does actually kind of go that way because she yep. does give too much information yeah. and she's the one who gets caught by it yep it's yeah. very much it is I, I would have preferred it if in fact we yeah. had just seen Valeris commit the crime at the beginning and then <laughs> yeah. after that it's just really like uh you know geez uh, just one one more one more thing one more thing lieutenant I, i'm sorry i'm sorry Although, I, 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 just I know you to gotta say, go back to, one, the, to the to the galley and make thing. more make more mashed potatoes but i have one more thing does colombo exist in this universe because uh because who then who is mrs colombo <gasps> gasp <laughs> <laughs> but there's there is one moment where and I can't remember exactly what the what the line is, but it's a it's a back and forth between Spock and and Valeris and she postulates something that isn't correct and Spock says no it can't be that because this and if she's supposed to be this like you know super crackerjack Vulcan logic lady mm-hmm. she would have known that immediately right. so either uh, so like that was the moment yeah. where I because I didn't <laughs> the fact that she was the guest star uh, I was just like oh wait a minute she's a Vulcan she should have known that one you've thing you've given everything and, away <laughs> but it did bother me a little bit that Spock didn't like twig uh, at that moment so right eh. well and later, when when we get to the point where they set her up to catch her, uh, and and Kirk is like, "Come here, I need to tell you something," and and Spock is like, eh, "Yeah, it's possible," and it all makes sense. It's like, okay, that's really well set up, but yeah, it's it's more Columbo. I just I love that. So, um, Rurapente. In retrospect, Rurapente, which has got there's a lot of uh, location. They did like a second unit on a glacier in Alaska or something, and they did the purple filter oh, it's on so it. So gorgeous, it's, it's but, yeah. but, but they have this 
beautiful, beautiful location. And yet the very first shot we get of Rurapente is the fakest fake, fake snow. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> but, you know, Stephen and I were joking and we were like, you know, maybe it's not water. It's it's something else. You it's alien Rurapente snow. snow. Yeah, Rurapente so, snow is different. Okay. Which yeah. would have been mm-hmm. fine if they had continued with that later on. But no, they have right. to go it's, and use real snow. It's and It's cotton snow. candy. It gets <laughs> everywhere. Later, later they have the beautiful location stuff. This first scene, yeah. However, I love this first scene. There are dogs that have been made up yeah. to look like alien dogs. <laughs> and one of my favorite... Uh, genre actors uh morgan shepherd oh, yeah. is in this yep. and yep. i don't know if you caught it but what i really love about this scene it's morgan shepherd appears and basically gives them the the uh you cannot escape uh, you must work and you work well and and you will stay alive and if you do not we throw you out here in the in the cold and you die bring out the guy nothing survives on the surface <laughs> and, and they, and there is no hope no electric frontier so they bring out the guy Who's who's a guy who they throw out and he's gonna die and he has no shirt on and I thought why did you take his shirt he's gonna die anyway uh, oh but God, they're I'll like take well Kirk's we need that shirt we don't want to waste yeah. the shirt it, yeah okay it so speeds that. it up we need but, the costume but the best thing about this whole scene is there is a Klingon who emerges from the trap door to welcome you to Rurapente, whose entire job <laughs> is to put a soapbox down for Morgan yeah. Shepard to stand on. Because mm-hmm. Morgan Shepard's not that tall. So then he stands on the box. And then when he's done with his very impressive speech and they've left the guy to die, uh, he steps off the box and the guy picks up the box and goes back down into the trap door. It kills me every time that he's got a box <laughs> about the prison hierarchy, doesn't even, it? I didn't even yep. really register yeah, that. Neither, oh, watch it next time. Next time you will you will live and die on on the oh, yeah. on the job oh, yeah. of the box man. And I'll, yeah. I'll only say I once uh, I would once was at an event where uh, the mayor of San Francisco at the time, Willie Brown, was present. And uh-huh. I'll just say that yeah. he had a man who stood next to him, <laughs> and his entire job appeared to be to hold his hat. He is the hat man. Yeah. And I thought about yeah. that man because because uh, Morgan Shepard's got the box man. Job creator. He's probably, he's probably yeah. bodyguard. He's probably security. But he carries the box. Sure. He's the box. He's guy. the guy who he's the guy who puts James Brown cape on and takes it off. Yeah, it's the, exactly. It's that job. Yeah. He's multi talented. Yeah. I worked for five years at Rurapente. What was your job? Well, technically I was the bodyguard to the, the warden, but really mostly I just carried this box around every box time. Guy. You were the box guy. Yeah, I was the box yeah. guy. That was a good it's a good it didn't pay well. So there are a bunch of aliens. Bunch of aliens in Rurapente because so it's the it's the alien for a Klingon prison planet. It doesn't really have Klingons because the, they say it's like the aliens graveyard. Like all the non-Klingon uh, political prisoners and whatever get sent to Rorapente. A lot of aliens there. A big alien picks up uh, Captain Kirk, uh, but it, the situation is diffused by the appearance of supermodel Iman, mm-hmm. who reveals that someone wants you out of the way. But she is in- intriguing and could be a friend? Question mark. And, that's, and she's uh, smoking a <laughs> apparently a warming cigar. A warming yeah, cigar. Here, this will warm you up. Just love it. Also, I have to comment. Sometimes the makeup in this is great, and sometimes it's very bad. <laughs> There's like a one where they pan around an alien, like a green alien. You can see the seam in the back oh, of yeah. his head. You can see it at the back there. Yeah, they're reusing yeah. aliens from Encounter at Farpoint, maybe. Like they're re- literally they just yeah yes yeah, they are they're yes. reusing aliens from from a tv show because they need aliens and 
They, anyway, yeah, it, it's not that great. I'm, I'm still impressed. I'm still impressed that, that this basically had the same budget as Star Trek V, and it looks way better and way than better. Star Trek V. Right, yeah. 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 A lot of that down to Hiro Narita, the director of photography, who shot it really well, and the, he, like, yeah. fixed the lighting, and he was <laughs> he like, did, we're going to... He turned the lights down. Not, not, turn the lights down so people can't see how cheap it is. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. I will also say, you know, how many borrowed costumes are there in the cantina sequence in Star Wars? There are a ton, and they, some of them even turn up in Doctor Who and later on and before that so it's it's a science fiction tradition no it's good it's good that yeah, they yeah. they um you know that even a star trek fan would probably not point and be like oh my god it's literally all no. the characters from counter farpoint but it totally is um so back <laughs> on the enterprise uh I, they have a galley with turkeys and mashed potatoes and stuff which is like every <laughs> star trek reason. even the original star trek they get their food out of a slot but apparently there's yeah. a galley it, it's it was fine. an auto. I love everything about this scene. It's dumb as hell, but I love it <laughs> yeah, so much. And, 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 and there's a phaser. There's a phaser yeah. locker. There's in the phasers galley in the galley yeah. too. Well, that's because yeah. that's how you cook the turkeys, I guess, as you said that's it on stun. Right. <laughs> and, and wait a second, we haven't gotten the other great thing that's in the galley, Dan. The other thing that's in the galley. One entire wall of the galley is like an equipment rack full of blinking lights of computers. In the galley, <laughs> that's how you cook things. <laughs> you can't have not have computers. It's a thermometer. I, I just love the I love the idea of demonstrating demonstrating that, you know, okay, you all know you all live on this ship. You've lived on this ship for a while, but what you might not know is that alarms go off if you shoot a phaser on this ship. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Nobody seems to be very aware of that. It makes for an amazing scene. It's great. It's funny, but yeah. it makes no sense whatsoever. It, but no. check and Chekhov was like the weapons officer previously. Yeah. yeah. Also, also these Starfleet security guys run in, and I swear to God, they look like the guards on Jabba's skiff in Return of the Jedi. They have these crazy <laughs> yeah. outfits. Yeah. Yeah, but it is a funny moment where it's like, who who the hell fired a phaser down here and all of that? Where it's like, well, this is why, and they need it for a plot point. But yeah, it is yes. it is an yes. as you know, Bob, a kind of moment there. But it is it is yes, it is a fun scene that is also incredibly stupid. It, um, it is quite literally a Chekhov's gun. But it is it is, <laughs> but it is fun, and it leads to one of the big laughs of the movie, which is if I know the captain, he is planning his escape right now. Cut to Rora Pente, where James Kirk is being his cra- the crap is being beaten out of him by an enormous blue alien uh it's such a good moment <laughs> he's got he's wily that kirk he'll get his he'll figure it out yeah. no he's getting his ass kicked that's what's happening right now i like that kirk. we never find out how that fight started but you no, know yes. that with kirk it just oh, yeah. you know you know that it did you know that it would have started was, with him he was but you don't smart know the exact ass. reason he mouthed yeah. off that that scene and the payoff of that scene i do remember as a kid laughing really hard at <laughs> it's childish but it's a it's a it's a funny that was not just me <laughs> for that yeah. scene dan we were all 12 mm. yeah basically <laughs> yeah but sorry the line not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place it's just for years it's been emblazoned on <laughs> it's like yeah i guess that makes sense i mean they're aliens that i yeah sure it's one of those things where that was not his knee is all you need, but yes, no, but we'll just still, say it. They, Let they me say sure, it. Right. It's oh, still right. funny. It's still for a the good twelve laugh. year olds in the room. It, yes, those were the genitals. Okay. Um, well, the, that that sets up his response to her, though. It's like, is there, is there anything you want to tell uh, me? Yeah, <laughs> and she just smiles. So it's not uh, just hanging a lantern. On. Um, the next scene, though, on Roropente, I love, which is uh, McCoy and Kirk in the bunk. And yes. I think this is some yes. of the best acting yeah. that William Shatner has ever done in Star Trek, honestly, <laughs> yes. which is, great. you know, are you afraid of the future? Some people are, are afraid of what might happen. 
I was terrified. No more neutral zone. I was used to hating Klingons. It never occurred to me to take Gorkon at his word. And, and, and it's a great character moment for Kirk that leads to a great plot moment because McCoy says, well, look, we all felt the same about this. And Kirk says, no, someone felt a lot worse, yeah. right? Which is like, <laughs> right. so good. It's just, yeah. I, I really, yeah. I mean, and I love Shatner and his, and his pausing and his, you know, I grew up on TOS and I love it. But like this, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, this is a really great, this is like Captain Kirk. Yeah. Like w- sharing his, his soul with his old buddy yeah. about how wrong. Yeah. And the way been. the scene, the way the scene ends. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Perfect. What is it with Kirk's, Jim? Yeah, Kirk's Ab- soul, and then you get a classic Kirk moment, and she just comes in and kisses <laughs> Kirk, and, and 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 like all of us are thinking it right, which is like, why, why does he's always the aliens are always kissing Captain Kirk, right? And then McCoy says it out loud. What is it with you? Why? Why does that happen? That is my favorite. That's my favorite line from the whole movie. Oh, yeah. That's definitely my favorite <laughs> laugh. Like, what? Yeah. Is it with you? It's just what it's that it? mo- it's a meta moment. It's a very funny thing. You know that McCoy, like if you think about Kirk and his history, then and you think about McCoy being around it, he's like, God, right boy, <laughs> again. We are to sm- retirement. We are we're still smelly. doing this. We're old. We're smelly. We're in a yeah. mine. We're gonna die. And an alien still walks up and kisses <laughs> and you. There's, there's one what? beautiful woman in here. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Um. Meanwhile, on the USS Excelsior, Christian Slater has a message for <laughs> yep. Captain Sulu. Big time cameo at the because time. Because his yeah. mom cast the movie. <laughs> uh, it's another great Sulu scene, right? Where he's telling him, like, we don't know where the Enterprise is. And he's like, really? That's what you want me to tell him? And he's like, you have hearing problems? Yeah. That was yeah. Li- yeah, literally, yeah, there's that. a did I stutter moment. It's yeah. great. Yeah. God, yeah. another great. And Sulu is the only one. I like Sulu's got pajamas. Oh. He looks very comfy. I don't know. I like everything about that. I like that way the scene is shot with Kristen Slater yeah. silhouetted in the in the doorway. I think that's a, that's a well shot little scene. There's a lot going on there. I would move his bed. If I was captain of the ship, I would move my bed so that when the door opens, the light isn't shining directly right. on my face. <laughs> you know, it's only so modular. You can he see likes it. his drama. I think maybe that's he fine. does. He, like it's a way to wake to him up. See. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. likes to see who's at the door. It's a way that you don't, you can't tell it's the exact same set. That, right. You know, Kirk's room. And <laughs> that's true. Room. Yeah. And Hero Narita's like, too. how about no light in this scene? Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what if we had a scene that was yeah. entirely in the dark? Yeah. Do we have to light Christian Slater? <laughs> so they are, I mean, we have to cast him. We don't have to light him. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, they're using a giant metal detector that, chirps to see if they can find things. I, I love that scene so much. It just absolutely tickled me. The Choop. amount of frenetic energy good. that like all Choop. of yeah. the people in every, like the door whisks open and the it's metal well detector goes through and it's just, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it For some reason, like I, I didn't remember that that happened in that way and then re-watching it this time was just, it was just a delight. I wanted to go back and watch it again. Well, it's, it's very much, we're on the case. There's a, there's a beat yep. like that in Star Trek too as well. Yeah, that's true. How does that work? It's not a metal detector. <laughs> it just looks like a metal detector. It's a, it's a detector. It's a blood it's a detector. detector. It's a shoe detector. Boot, boot detector. Yeah. It detects blood, of course. <laughs> yes, they find some boots and uh, crewman Dax. Uh, Which host who, of Dax no is relation. that? Who is yeah, also, no. also uh, very much a Thermian from Galaxy Quest. 
Hello, everyone. <laughs> yes. I do not understand. I do not understand your strange shoe, earth shoes. But this 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 scene is fantastic for Walter oh, Kings. Walter Kings very like if He's shoe so fits, and he drops the boot. Weird. And yes, and yeah. Nichelle Nichols just does one of the like she's just like shaking her head, and it's just it's really well shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got big feet. The shoe does not fit. That's I the do problem wonder why problem. he doesn't have some kind of footwear. Like you, I mean, maybe his culture just doesn't yeah. wear shoes. But yeah, it, yeah. but you're on a yeah. you're on a starship. They have their own like shoes. A lot of dangerous their, stuff. Their feet are. Their Everyone's shoes. not all human. I also right. like that. It, mm-hmm. It's it seems like a bad idea on the face of it to hide the. I understand there's a red herring aspect here. But it's like you could have picked almost anybody else on the ship to hide those right. boots in their locker, and then you would at least spend some time interrogating those people, as opposed Just to bad limiting them equipment. Yeah, I guess. But yeah. you know who all the people are, don't you? And it's like they they cut to Valeris, who does that look of, oh, and you're supposed to think, oh, well, it's because Chekhov is wrong. But we know now it's no, she picked the wrong guy. But if she's so smart and so logical, yeah, mm-hmm. why did she pick him? Just. Or, or or she had her, her lackeys do it and they were dumb. Who knows? Maybe it was the lackeys. Uh, meanwhile, on Ruripente, there's a lot of uh, like creepy laser mining scenes and stuff as they're going to escape because uh, Martia, the, the, who played by Amon, is going to help them escape. Lots of good use of people like using lasers on, on the rocks and stuff. It's, I thought it was pretty cool. They get in a mine cart. Uh, she turns into a little girl in order to slip out of the chains and then back into the big guy. Um, that she was disguised as in the elevator and they're like, oh, you kissed her and now she's like a big, tall alien. It's like- Yeah, har har. Hardy har har. But the the real reason that the big, tall alien exists is because Iman, uh, nor anybody the size and shape of Iman went to Alaska for the second unit filming. (laughs) Uh, so they got to have some. So she returns. She only appears when they're on a set. So they have somebody else who can who can wear that costume and be out in the uh, in the actual uh, glacier and ice of uh, of Alaska. Uh, anyway, so they're gonna they're gonna escape across the wastes, the frozen wastes. Um, on the Enterprise, they now have gotten outside of the shield so that they can see where Kirk is and they're going to come, but they need to cross into Klingon territory, which means they're going to need to respond personally to uh, any questions from people on the Klingon radio. Uh, th- th- I this hate is... this scene so much. It makes me so yes. sad because yes. Uhura does yeah. not get very much to do in this in this whole movie. And this is the one scene where they could have chosen, instead of playing this whole thing for laughs, they could have had her just be like a friggin' badass. Yeah. Just roll and, over them. Yeah. yeah. Which and, is what they do no. with Uhura in the J.J. Abrams movies, right? Exactly. She knows all yeah. those languages yeah. and everything. And they realized that this didn't make any sense because they could just use the universal translator, which is why Chekhov is, well, is obviously looped in yeah. after the fact saying we this is why we cannot use the universal translator also let's because, let's, yeah. let's back up to the fact that they've got a pile of books <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah. 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 yep they still should have been able to use the universal translator to Translate right. yeah. and then what? repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Google Google's Translate, translate but, has yeah. been down for centuries. Yeah, it's yeah. I, it's a week's antique yeah. books. I laugh that we are books. condemning things and supplies because it's hilariously bad. But you're right; it's it's a dumb scene where the where our smart characters are suddenly very dumb. Although I will say the shot of them when they all have to fake laughing 
at the joke oh, like, that is, is funny. really yeah. good. That's a nice yeah. moment. Well, and, and the way and the way she Whoever, stops. Yes, they kind of like the that answer is like egging them on. Yes. I like the Klingons yeah. too. I like the, the Klingons on the dead end job where they're like, please respond. And his, his yeah. buddies back there and they're like, I don't know what's going on. Please respond. <laughs> kind of leans in to listen. And then they like, say we are condemning on, we is condemning things and supplies and they're like Whatever. Good, good enough. <laughs> Close they enough. Care. They like, don't care. Who wants to break into Rupente? So. Yeah. I, but I, but I, and I love, I do love Deshaun Nichols' look at the end when, you know, she just shuts off the thing. Yeah. And, just kind of just that yeah. and all I could think was, I was getting tired of that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Boring conversation. Boring conversation anyway. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. So, um, so back on Rupente, they're, obviously they're on the way. Um, we learned that uh, Marita or Marcia is a cameloid. This is a shape-changing alien, definitely not like other shape-changing aliens on Star Trek that we've seen before <laughs> or since. Uh, for a, no apparent reason, she turns into Captain Kirk, even though she knows that she's because she's double-crossed them, they're going to come and get them, and she's going to get uh, freed. She's this is the plot is she's she's double-crossed them, but she turns into Kirk, knowing that they're coming to get Kirk, therefore making her look like the person that they're coming to get and kill outside the. I, I don't know why she does that, but it does allow them to fight and we get the final uh punch him up of captain kirk's career i guess okay star trek generations one of the final punch him ups <laughs> and it's the ultimate punch him up it's kirk versus kirk, kirk. yeah I, f- I feel like i was fine with with her choosing to to take his shape because you know she's been she's been doing this job all along she got in to be friends with them like right off the bat she's forced like she's She's basically, you know, kissing him in order yeah. to get him on side. She does and a great job. Maybe yeah. didn't, maybe didn't enjoy that so much. And like, she's paying attention to his character, and she has sussed him out by this point and realized how much he mm-hmm. loves himself and right. how big Must his have been ego your lifelong is. ambition. Right. That is a great exactly. line, objectively so, great line. She's, also, I think she's rubbing it in his face. Literally, despite yeah. that, yes. I think they kill her with his face. I think they kill her kind of knowing it's her because then they're talking to Kirk and McCoy about the whole plot. Like, I, I mean, yeah. first of all, yeah, they were going to no kill her anyways. It didn't matter, yeah. right? Right. I, so, I think right. that's right. We get the Kirk versus Kirk fight and then they catch them and, and there's like, kill, shoot me, not not me, you idiot, him. I think it would have been a more effective scene. I mean, yes, they wanted that shock of, oh, we killed a Shatner. Which yeah. one is left? But of course we know which one is left because that's how these movies work. <laughs> Actually, it turns out it was the shapeshifter for the next like two All movies. Along. Yeah. She was, yeah, yeah, right, right. right. She shows up in Generations. It didn't make any sense for her as a shapeshifter to not immediately shift back. Right, yeah. When when they well, show up, uh, you know, but no, 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 no. and it that does. would have been more effective. It takes a lot but of David, energy. It actually, but yeah, it, it takes a, an awful a lot, lot of energy. Of, and she just got I, done with a I fist suppose. fight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they it's throw dumb. that in there as a, as a nice excuse. And again, this not to not to take this movie too seriously because the next thing that happens is literally they're like, <laughs> "Why? Why is this happening?" And Morgan Shepard is like, "Well, since you're going to die anyway, why <laughs> not yeah. tell it's you?" Very drawn out, like, "Well, I'm going to tell you because I might <laughs> as well." Die. And I they get beamed up right then, yet. and you can see Kirk's like, "Go! Oh, why are you beaming Son me? Oh, check out, no. check out line. You you want to go back?" It's still is <laughs> absolutely it's not a great oh. line. Oh, that's so good. I I do love I do love the Chekhov sasses them. Like, you know, we're at, we're at a point in their <laughs> well, relationships yeah, when he can enough. be like, he's, yeah, he's really? not taking their crap anymore. Yeah. So back yeah. on the back on the ship and they they compare notes and all of that and they find the spacesuits and they figure out that it's a bird of prey. But the moment here that I wanted to mention is um the reason that the dumb galley scene exists is they find the two guys who were in the spacesuits dead and 
and it's like surprise dead guys like well wait a second oh they are eliminating all the witnesses here but the the moment that i like is set up by a dumb moment is this moment which is like why didn't the alarm go off um, and it's because they they put the phaser set to stun right next to their heads to kill them, which is gruesome, right? Yeah, but right. it's also like doesn't set off the alarm, and they're like, oh, the the killer is smart, and that that scene I think is really uh, clever. I, I think the premise great of, detail. of of you know how it's set up is dumb, but I, I it is a great detail. Right? It's also weird though because like they are talking and having a random conversation, they walk through a door, and it's like, oh, the dead yeah. guys, someone left them for us <laughs> right here. here. Yeah. And Scotty, Scotty just found their uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would say maybe they were intended to be found. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, it is mm-hmm. awfully convenient that they're right there. They don't yeah, get no, they were there. meant to be found to be like, oh, yeah. well, I guess it's done. So. That leads to the double cross, which is they, 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 what if we say that they didn't die and that they survived and are in sick bay? Uh, that would draw the murderer out into the open, which it does. And Valeris I love comes. It. It's just so, it's so classic murder mystery. It is, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's You're totally probably wondering why I called you to sit bay. Attention all personnel. Uh, the two people who uh, we thought were dead are not dead. They're fine and they're talking and they're about and they to implicate whoever twice. is involved. So uh, please come down to sick bay. I know to write we never use this bad, PA. Si- I know we never use this PA system, but let me use it for this but one this moment. One, we can't. We can't find the notary anywhere. <laughs> so we do not have a court reporter. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's what everyone in the bunks is like. What? I don't, John. Who? I think I want to be the court reporter. I want to be the court reporter on and the, the Enterprise. And the court reporter is in his <laughs> bunk, and he's like, what? I, I, they didn't ask for me? Said... He walks in at the end yeah. of the scene, right? And is well, like, okay, I got here. What? Oh. <laughs> it, oh. I see. I see. I'm just a big joke to you. Yeah, yeah, it's right. the first time in months that guy had been invited anywhere, and he's like, oh, finally, I've been the court reporter on the Enterprise for like <laughs> six months. months before retirement, <laughs> yeah. and this happens. <laughs> but But now here's the thing. It's a great murder mystery trope. It's a great setup. It's all, you know, you know how that's going to work. But the next scene, sickbay is dark. Everyone's asleep. And she yeah, comes in weird. in the dark. Where is the court reporter? Why And why is she going there? If she's going there right when they call for the court reporter, that's stupid. If she goes after they've called for the court reporter. It's too late. They've already reported yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. But it's a great scene if you ignore that. I think yeah. I think the idea is I chose to. I think the idea is that she's just going there to try and beat them there, and then she walks into a dark right. sick bay, and she's like, yeah. "What's going on here?" Right. You know, maybe. But I I do love when she walks up, and then Spock turns on the light and goes, "If yeah. you are logical, you have, you have to, to shoot." Yes. Of course, and that is such a great moment. Please don't. And then slapping the phaser. Yeah, the slapping yeah. of the gun. Angry That's what I love Spock. about I love about Spock. old school yeah. Spock. At, you know, the new movies, he cries at the drop of a hat. But whenever like he's actually showing emotion. <laughs> As Leonard Nimoy, you you believe mm-hmm. it. Disappointed like, dad, oh. Spock. Oh, right. Yeah. You let him down. It's like, oh wow. You let him. And down. then and then Shatner just going. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't. Okay, so leading leading to a very interesting scene that I would like to know what, what people feel about, which is that they need to get the information out of Valeris about who's been involved mm-hmm. in this and where the you know and what's been going on with this conspiracy, and she refuses, which. Uh, which Spock then basically is like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, I know what I'm going to have to do in this extreme moment. And he mind melds the information out of her in a scene that is shot. Creepily. Like it is. Yeah. It is not a casual thing. It is shot as a yeah. very 
upsetting thing that is happening where he's pulling, he's using this, you know, kind of hippie friendly mind meld thing for terrible purposes for the force of good. But like, it, it's an awful thing that he, he feels he needs to do here. It's, it's a remarkable well, scene and I find it deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to, and it, that's one of the things that I like about it. Like is maybe the wrong word, but I, I appreciate what it. they're going for because you know, we know the mind meld is is a thing that we use to get exposition when we need it. <laughs> and we're okay with that. But, you know, here she is. She, as a Vulcan, knows exactly what he's going to do, knows exactly what's going to hurt and why this is an intrusion. And she starts to back away and he grabs her and pulls her to him. And this is not a Spock we're used to. But, of course, there's no time. They have to find out now. There's no time for a long, protracted interrogation. And I kind of like that Spock is not all that sympathetic in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so icky. Like, it's it's hard to watch, but it, it it's it's fun to see characters that we love make difficult choices and sometimes make a choice that, you know, is not, I'm not going to say wrong because it, you know, led to them winning, but is, you know, maybe morally wrong in, in some fashion. And it's as difficult as it is to watch. I do think that's one of the most uh, impressive as in it made an impression uh, seen in the movie because, because just those moments before he does it, like the look on her face and the look on his face and just like the, the resignation coming from both different directions and like they both know it's going to happen and I as the viewer I also know it's going to happen and I am just as uncomfortable with it as they are it's uh it's just like this pregnant pause that's just <gasps> and then it's really really tough to watch because like it's great camera working on spinning around them and they're they're they must have practiced it a bunch because they did a great job of saying the lines at exactly the, the right time it's it's a wonderful scene but it is not easy the one downside to it is that there's really there aren't consequences right like we see everything's front-loaded in terms of like everybody being trepidatious about doing it and like the the horror of it but there's not there's not really an ill effect that follows on from it there's no discussion Mm -hmm. of like well that was a that was a line that we crossed uh should we have done that it's it's kind of incidental which i think is the only thing that that makes that scene because in the moment it's great right then it's it's ultimately has no impact i think the impact is entirely hung on the last line but it is so brilliantly done which is when spock says choked with emotion basically she does not know right like this has been terrible and there's nothing more there and And the lead up to that right (laughs) through through most of that they're saying the lines in unison as we've seen in other mind melds and then it gets to the point where they both stop and he and he brings the other hand up and then you know her eyes start to get wide and she gasps and cries out and he doesn't and that's an interesting choice and then and then yeah finally the she she doesn't know it you know and that's it's such a hard scene but this is like ben cisco in in the pale moonlight for spock mm-hmm. right it's this i've crossed the line and it would have been interesting to have a moment afterwards with kirk where it's like was that yeah. okay? And Kirk would be like, it's okay, Spock, everyone's human. And no, but but he well, would have said, kind of get we needed the I mean, he was kind of like, you know, he was 
sulking in his cabin afterwards. Yes, and, you know, yes, and meditating for a variety it. of reasons. It's, but it's, uh, that it's was probably tough. one of them. It's tough though because this feels so transgressive, and it would be very. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure people have yeah. talked about or written about the idea that this is a just a complete violation of Valeris by Spock here for the expediency of the plot. This is you know 24. Tell me where the bomb is, kind of stuff, and it's yeah. really unpleasant uh, as a. I get that it breaks some, it, it prevents some plot holes. It gets them a thing that they need, but at a price, except the price sort of doesn't get paid, except in the moment. It's it's like, I'm willing to accept it because the movie is clearly aware of how difficult this is, yes. but they can't, yeah. they don't, There's you know, no time. really no time have to time really to pay off into it, the deal no. you know, after the fact. There's no time in the story. There's no time in the movie to right. sort of like have That's where the clocks are there. That's yeah. <laughs> we could deal with it now, but TikTok. So you TikTok, know, everybody, you know there's we got no time left. Well, there, and I'm actually, I'm actually pleased that they didn't do the the director's cut because I saw a comparison of the two like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's not. As and the director's version. cut that like they do whenever they say a name, Admiral Cartwright, they flash in like a close up of Admiral Cartwright yeah. as if you That's forgot cool. what he Previously. looked like. Previously, right, right. Like, like we don't know who these people are. Yeah, I will it's, say, I will say, if I were watching that with my wife, she would definitely be like, pause, wait. Which one's Admiral Cartwright again? Yes, sure. <laughs> you don't spend a I mean, lot of time with him. You yeah. don't know him, but I mean, you, you know who Chang is. Yeah. yeah. Romulan ambassador. Whoa, whoa. Which Romulan ambassador? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only one Romulan in the movie. Uh, yeah, the, the laws of the conservation of Romulan characters. So uh, Sulu has the information that it's a Camp Kittimer. <laughs> they, just, they just call Sulu. They're like, Let's oh, okay, mine melted out of Valeris. Sulu will have it. And he does. And, he knows stuff, and he does. And we then we get our big Kirk and Spock scene, which yes, this is this is the meta moment. This is literally the moment where the movie and the characters are saying, "Are we too old yeah. to do these movies? Mm-hmm. Are we yeah. at the end? Are, are we? <laughs> is it possible that we too have grown so old and inflexible? We have outlived our usefulness." And it is the movie sort of saying, um, "Are we at the end of the Star Trek?" crew and the Star Trek movies, which they are. We trekked our last the, stars, and it's, these uh, guys yeah. are geriatric. Mm. Anyway, it's a it's it's a good it's like the good last classic Kirk and Spock scene is this scene now. And it is, you know, they are talking about that fact. And it's uh, it's it's delightful. I think it's touching. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. These are people who've been working together for this was basically made for the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. So people have been working together for 25 years kind of at the end. On and off. On and off. And I, I, I do love that even though Kirk is trying, you know, well, everyone's human, Spock. Uh, and and Spock's immediate reaction is that's insulting. I, that's insulting. I find that insulting. <laughs> As well, you should. Yes, <laughs> yes. Maybe uh, Gorkhan's daughter, the hippie, has a point. <laughs> Never think of that, Kirk. <laughs> uh, but you know, no time for any more of this because uh, General Chang is on the phone. Uh, once more, aren't you glad yeah. we are doing it this way, Kirk? I for, I forgot how little he's actually in the film after after the assassination. I suppose you can't really show him because he is the main villain, and if you show him, he's just going to be like talking about the plot that he's hatching. So, but <laughs> I I forgot how much I missed him for basically the middle hour of this film. Well, you can't miss him here because he no. narrates this entire scene, <laughs> shouting various lines of Shakespeare as yep. they try to find him as he fires on the Enterprise and. Uh, and then there's, you know, some flim flam about gaseous anomalies, which was the accelerator. But we've totally headcanoned that about how it's a whole Federation <laughs> president, gaseous anomalies. He wants them eliminated. We got it down. Yeah. Not a script problem anymore. We got it. We're on top of it. Anyway, they, they hotwire a torpedo. 
in order to uh, find the tailpipe of this thing. So they've they've solved the uh, the the secret weapon of the movie with like yeah. some spit and bailing wire here in order to save the day. Why McCoy? Why McCoy is involved in that? I will never. Well, know. it's surgery on a torpedo, He's right? Yeah, steady hands. Hands. yeah, right. yeah. Steady hands. I. <laughs> That's simply, not how surgery works. It's a redemption. <laughs> uh, it's redemption for his inability to save Gorkin. I guess yeah, so. There we are. Yeah. Turns out he's an engineer. He's not even. It's a our doctor. last Spock McCoy moment, which is which is a nice a nice yeah. and they, I love the bit where he's like, "Doctor, would you assist me in this?" And McCoy gets to throw in his fascinating, fascinating. yeah, fascinating uh, with a big so smile. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's a good bit. And this scene has my second favorite McCoy line in the whole movie, where you know Chang is just oh, going, God. "Cry it's havoc so and let's slip the dogs of war." And he's like, "I'd give good money if he would just <laughs> shut up." It's so good because because like, turn it off because no he he is yeah they can't turn it off and he just keeps. Like he won't hang up the phone. He just keeps quoting. <laughs> if you trick us, do no, you we not you. bleed. He's going through the whole thing. He's got the Shakespeare cliff notes and he's oh, reading them man. all. Wherefore art thou Romeo? In the middle, we also have um, Sulu trying to uh, fly to the rescue oh, yeah. in a great and another right. great oh. little bit where they're like, "It can't go oh. any faster. It'll fly apart. Fire right. apart then." <laughs> I love it. And then they yeah. fi- they fire off the torpedo. And it swoops around, and there's that scene of of Chang kind of watching it go, like, "Oh, where's it gonna go? Oh, it's going over there. Oh, it's going <laughs> oh. over there. Oh, oh." <laughs> and it's the first time they fire too. They don't yeah. they don't bother like they well, don't they shoot only blind. The yeah, and they and so it's like when it happens, it's like, "Oh, <laughs> it's the torpedo." De- like it's the detecting torpedo, and once they see it hit, then the Excelsior and the Enterprise both target it, and and they blow it into into smithereens. And uh, hooray! Yeah, and if you like that explosion, just watch the next movie because it's also in that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's like you know, hey, I got to do the famous line, and this time and, in uh, English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so great too, just the way he says it. And the, I, I oh, love yeah. what I love about the whole scene. You know, instead of like saying fire, fire, I love Plummer's just little like he just finger pointing. Like that's how he's directing everyone to fire. I just I wonder if that was like you know, uh, Nicholas, what do we? Why are all these words in this script? How about I just point and then we'll fire, and that's what I'll do. And it's so great. I yeah. want to think that's Plummer. Yeah. yeah don't make me learn the Klingon nice. for that. Just yeah. I'm gonna point at things and. You're all older than me, so this probably is lost on you, but the the place used as the exterior for the Kinemer Conference, which is a, I think, fairly well-known thing, but it's also, it's the headquarters of the Power Rangers. They use the same thing. Really? I didn't know that. So they they beam down. Uh, They got to split up because there's lots of things to do. And so what they decide to do is send the old fat engineer upstairs by himself (laughs) to attack the assassin who's upstairs. (laughs) <laughs> Always curious that decision. I it thought he, they don't even give him a buddy. They're like Scotty, you know, you know your way around a phaser, and there's an assassin. What, Scotty? You're a ice cold the, killing machine. This, Take care of this. This scene is super. Che- <laughs> it's super cheesy, but you know yeah. that's fine. He doesn't even yeah. seem to be pointing right at him. <laughs> it's still good. I like it. Yeah. So Scott, Scotty stops him, but Kirk, of course, jumps and and flies across to tackle the president and save him from being killed by the assassin who in the director's cut is revealed to be a human made up to look like a Klingon but in this version it's that's not Klingon, Klingon blood. it doesn't yeah. matter it's not important it's Rene Auberjonois isn't it it yeah. is, yeah. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. that was the moment where I realized I had seen the director's cut because I was like isn't there a thing where he turns out to be human yeah. and it was not mm-hmm. in there it's I was like oh, maybe I'm misremembering yeah. that so and there's there's also a moment that makes me laugh here where uh, 
where uh, they're turning to, I think Cartwright is turning to run away as he's been exposed and Sulu beams down right in front of him and goes, hold it, Cartwright. <laughs> like we beamed right in front of him because we knew he'd be coming that way and we'd stop him. And again, it's super cheesy, but it's it's funny. And and the, the part of this that I really love, I, I love it and it's ridiculous, is they're literally like, what just happened? And, and Captain Kirk stands up and says, Mm-mm-mm. well, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really explain it though. Speech Some people then. are afraid of the future, and I think that the it, it's just it, it's like thank you, Federation president, who just survived an assassination attempt. It's my turn to talk now. <laughs> I I will like yeah. handle this as I am the star of the franchise. Yeah, and then he stands there, and then the rest well, of like his crew come to stand yeah, well, around him, like they're 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 posing actually for posing for the photo, newspaper yeah. for the newspaper right. photo, and everybody yeah. claps. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh my god. Some of them awkwardly. It's Some, the last I, I, shot. Yeah. I like the aliens trying to figure out how to clap. Well, they seem to be making this. No- that the Klingon fun. ambassador is like is like pulling his hands apart, which I kind of like. Here's here's what I love about the clapping. What I love about the clapping is most people are very confused, and there's like a traditional slow clap, and then they cut yeah. to these three weird aliens, and they're going yay with a really fast <laughs> clap. And I love those guys. They're into it. I yeah. love it. In our society, yeah. that means get the hell off the stage, random guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the slow clap had become passe at that point. No. At least completely past the point. So like you know, it's fun to look at look at where but by these, the 23rd century know... it had become passe. Yeah. Yeah. Had he just dropped a tray in the middle of the cafeteria? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the with the day saved, they go back up to the Enterprise. They say goodbye to Sulu, admire his ship, which is funny because uh, Scotty was really mean to that ship in another movie. But anyway, it's fine now uh, that Sulu. Now that one of our friends is no, running that ship, yeah. it's fine. Uh, and they they say, well, uh, Starfleet is radioed in, and they say that we are to return to space dock to be de- decommissioned. Uh, which Spock says, if I were human, I'd say, go to hell. And I say, somebody, Ch- Chang shot a hole through your saucer. You cannot fly with like that. Four go places. home. <laughs> Kirk should be writing some condolence letters. There's a hole in the <laughs> ship. You need to not just f- take they, a place. There are bulkheads. Bulkheads have, have, have closed yeah. around that hole. It's, yeah. it's okay. totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, the only fine. thing missing in that scene is is Kirk putting on a pair of sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> Before they drive <laughs> off at Warp we 9. Need roads. I, like, I, like, I like the point, right, which is which is uh, we'll decide when we go home and it'll be after we go over there and then we'll go home. But we'll go over there yeah. first because right, we right. decide when we go home, stupid Starfleet. Not you. The funny scene there would have been if they tried to jump the warp and it pulled like a Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Ju, 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 ju. I, guess, I guess we're going now. Can you call the 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 Auto Club? Can you can you call them? Because we can't. And they're standing there, right? They're all very much arranged again in a yearbook photo kind of thing, where they're like, we get mm, to right. see all of those characters other than Sulu, who's on his own ship, and they're they're looking off as as they're they're making this kind of final thing. And then we get that final voiceover, which again is a passing of the baton it's saying you know this soon there'll be a new enterprise and and then there'll be other enterprises after that hint hint and to you know to new generations and to them and their posterity we'll say and then he says where no man where no one has gone before which of course is the rewrite of the intro from star trek the next generation but Um, there's something about hearing hearing william shatner say it that just meant so much to me right like it was it well was he's cur- he's literally huge. correcting it correcting the star trek voiceover right. in right. his last mm-hmm. act as captain yep. he's grown up so much in this movie yes, <laughs> yes. i yeah, take it back really, about yeah. the klingons and also it probably should be where no one right yeah yeah it probably should 
uh yeah no it's a beautiful moment because it is it is it is closing the book on this generation and it's passing it on to the next which is why I feel like they really dodged a bullet here because they're like I said, I sense some animosity with Star Trek five and when that came out and they're like, Oh, these T V shows, whatever, we're the real Star Trek over here. And Star Trek Six does not have that attitude. Star Trek Six mm-hmm. is we are passing the torch. We are gonna show respect for what those people are doing. They're the future of Star Trek. We're the past. We're gonna hand it off and we're gonna say goodbye but and and sign the movie. This is where it started, people. This is where people started signing. Not this Avengers stuff. This is where yep. people started signing their movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's and, and I that's did think end. about that. And that's Star Trek Six. They uh Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna go home eventually, but uh but this is this is the end. On and we their do own see term. And I was looking it up. We do see so some of these actors did do more Star Trek. Um obviously William Shatner, uh um Walter Koenig and James Doohan are in Star Trek Generations. Uh, George Takei was in an episode of Voyager, pl- uh, playing Captain Sulu in this in, set in this movie. This, from this, yeah, from yeah. this yeah. movie. Doohan yeah. was in Relics again in season six of TNG. Was that the, was that the next year, I guess? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I th- this is shot between, what, four and five, I read, and I think it came out around, because yes. you said uh, Nimoy was in TNG, basically, to promo. They, they almost didn't get the chance to really do, like, you could argue Generations is is the ultimate kind of handoff, and they're only in it briefly, and there's only three of them there. But, like, this movie, they got to make a whole Star Trek movie, and they knew it was the last one, and they got to say goodbye, and they went out on a high note, which is also really nice. Yeah. Like this is a good movie, and um, that's I'm I'm very grateful that all of those things happened because I didn't want this. This is my you know childhood favorite TV show. I didn't want this to end badly, and it mm-hmm. doesn't end badly. It ends really well with this movie. Yeah, yeah. The undiscovered country, which by the way in Shakespeare is death, but here it's the future because it, I don't know right. Shakespeare. The future, the future is death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, Mortality. I mean, you know, eventually it is for these characters right. because it, this is theoretically they're all getting up there. You're gonna yeah. see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does borrow from Star Trek Two quite a bit, but I still think that there's enough different about it. I mean, the whole the whole sort of you know we got to put the puzzle of what's going on here, who's responsible, etc. Um, and the basically tying it to a you know, relatively current event in you know our time makes it different enough for me that I think I don't it that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't feel like it's borrowing from from Star Trek Two. I think it's building upon it. I think it's taking mm-hmm. the you know some of the stuff that was that was in there and uh, t- to me yeah. making it better because yeah. I, I find it so much more interesting to to watch progress. So it's you know not just the passing of the baton to the new new crew, but that's super awesome as well. But you know watching like I said before the characters grow and you have if you're gonna grow you have to grow from a foundation so i feel like star trek 2 is very foundational for this film and this film would not be as good if it didn't have that wonderful foundation to grow out of but i think that to me this is more interesting than what was what was covered there the 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 thing that i like about this that i like it shares with a lot of my other favorite star trek like ds9 like some of the stuff discovery has done i think is the willingness to admit that that the future isn't perfect, that the Federation is not perfect, right? That there are problems yes. within it. There are people within it that disagree, and there's people within it that are, you know, yeah. willing to cross moral lines. And I think that's <laughs> interesting to me as a story. I like the idea that there's not a whole like 
you know, the Federation is perfect. It's a utopia um, because I think that's unrealistic when you have humans in the mix. So I enjoy that aspect of it, of the intrigue, of the murder mystery, all of that. I think that's one, one reason I, I do tend to enjoy it a, a lot, um, possibly more than, than Wrath of Khan. Although, again, I, will, I think that's probably a slightly more, you know, better made movie. But I think this is more fun and more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pacier movie. I think it's yeah. probably the paciest movies of all of all the six. Mm-hmm. I, I like that the, um, you know, the original series was very, you know, about plots because they, they weren't diving into characters as much back then. But I find the movies are mostly about the characters and their relationships with each other. I think it really comes through in two, three, and four, that sort of trilogy when it's just them against everyone. Um, and so that's what I like about this movie is that it's a payoff from really growing to finally like these characters. That's why I, I adore the movies, these six movies much more than I adore the TV show on which they're based because I connect more with the characters when it comes to watching them in the movies than it does on the TV show. Yeah, I would say I'm kind of in the same same boat. I mean, I, I grew up watching the original series Star Trek because it was on like every day after school. Every day. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, and I enjoyed it, but I don't think I really came to love the characters the way I do now until I saw them in the movies. So like when I think of classic Star Trek, I think of the characters from the movies more than I do from mm-hmm. the TV show. And and I will say one thing I hadn't really thought about about this movie until watching it again today was that, you know, okay, here I am watching it in my late 40s as opposed to my late teens, and it hits a lot differently when you're closer to their age yep. than, than <laughs> you know, and just little moments, little details, and I'm like, oh. I think I was just oh, born old. <laughs> I'm closer to Shatner's age in this than, than I was... 30 years well, ago. Well, he and Nimoy um, were 60 mm. when this movie was made. Yeah. And I thought it was, uh, actually, that was the thing I was uh, laughing at, watching some of the uh, ancillary material <laughs> where they're talking about, well, they're getting up there and can they really even do one more? But they'll do this one, but like there are people making fun of them and like, are they going to really be able to, to do it? And I think, meanwhile, <laughs> Patrick Stewart is 80 yep. and is starring in a second <laughs> yeah. season of his Picard yeah. TV show, right? Like 80 is the new 60. 80. Eighty is the new sixty. That's the answer. But they make that work. The, but the idea that that sixty-year-old characters couldn't do a science fiction movie, I think, really, like that's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of weird. I, I I actually, I honestly, I look at Star Trek Six and think. I know that they wanted to make next generation movies and they knew that next generation was coming to an end and they wanted to capitalize and they didn't want conflict here. But I look at this and think if they didn't, if they weren't so primed to do a next generation movie, I think they could have easily done a Star Trek seven with the original crew because this movie makes you think they could do more movies. Maybe they shouldn't stop at six. And you know, but the truth is that they did because they had a new crew you know, that was that was of the moment that was up and coming. But there's also the fact that, like, especially, you know, at the time that came out and I guess now retirement ages tend to be a little bit older. Um, but but still, like, there's the idea that you earn the chance to rest and the idea that every single one of the crew of the ship would decide to stick around for another adventure. I feel like the, the more times that you you'd pull that, the the weaker it sort of well, it sort of gets, and I'm sure they could have figured but, it out. But it's Hollywood, but... right? I mean, originally this movie was going to start with them all getting pulled out of retirement for one last job. So mm-hmm. you could yeah. definitely have done something like that. I, I I, think what the real issue is, is the Star Trek movies with the original cast, uh, 
were reunion movies and the whole point was to mm-hmm. give all of those core characters their little moments in this in these movies to remind people about that TV show from the 60s but as a result there weren't new characters right they weren't able to develop like all of the younger characters who would then take over instead they just did a different TV show with younger characters in it and they used them and if if they if we had learned if we'd gotten to know in Star Trek 1 a bunch of the bridge crew and then they had progressed in Star Trek 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 to the point where when Kirk and Spock and and Uhura and and Chekhov retire and Sulu becomes the captain and they're all there then we're like oh it's the it, we're continuing but they never did that right in fact Savik is as close as they got and mm-hmm. they yeah. that didn't and work. That worked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, I sometimes think of Valeris in this movie, and I think that's them literally saying, "See what we did? You know, like <laughs> forget it. It's not worth it. Other characters are no good." <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it's just it's funny because they they I think it's good that they went out on a high note and not sort of a sad attempt to kind of bring them back for a for another movie that flopped and then they finally replaced them. Right? Instead, <laughs> they did this movie and it was successful creatively and financially and that was that and they they passed the the torch to another uh, another generation mm-hmm. i have a very silly question <laughs> all right <laughs> going so going into this into this movie i had remembered that um David Warner plays Chancellor Gorkhan because that's what I have heard most people saying over and over again. And throughout the film, I kept like double taking because it's not pronounced Gorkhan. It's Gorkin. Chancellor Gorkhan. And, Gorkin. and throughout this podcast, many of you have said Gorkhan over and over again. And I want yeah. to know why. Like, how did that become Probably because of Gowron. Oh, maybe. Well, I think, yeah, sounds... Gorkhan just sounds like more of a Klingon pronunciation. But the, the the reason I think he it is not pronounced that way is because, yeah, Gore is is was for um, Gorbachev, but the on part was Lincoln. Ah, oh, okay. So that's it's right. supposed to sound a little bit yeah, more Yeah, he, like he looks a little Lincoln-esque. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the point. That's part of the point yeah. because because he you they, they they he was like a cross between Ahab and Lincoln, yeah, and exactly. that was the idea. It was like because you don't know whether to trust him or not. Right. Like, is he Lincoln or is he Ahab? Also, Erica, mm. really simple answer. Sometimes you're fishing. Sometimes you're running. Sometimes you're gorking. <laughs> <laughs> sure. My answer. Well, thanks for being on the show, everyone. <laughs> and indeed, in, in, in fact, let me thank him by name, Dan Moore, and thank you for being on the show. Uh, first rule of assassination: kill the assassins. Uh, David J. Lore, thank you. Thank you. I will. I will straight on till morning and write the star and second. And yep. I, I'm solid, paraphrasing. Solid. I think. Nailed it. Yeah. You need to return yeah. to Starfleet immediately. <laughs> Erica Ensign, thank you. Uh, it, it's been great talking with you. E R I K A E N S I G N. She's autographing. I'm, si- I'm signing off. Oh, she's signing off. Signing yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's signing off. Yeah. Autographing. John Moltz. Thank you. Thank you. We 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 did this whole podcast, and you didn't even know that I was doing it through the Universal Translator. What? <laughs> I did. I, I did it in I did it in the original Klingon. And Stephen Schapansky, thank you. Uh, it has been my lifelong ambition to talk about Cliff Eidelman's score, which we never mentioned once, hardly. So, uh, <laughs> so there it is at the end. There thank you, go. Cliff Eidelman. You turned me into a Star Trek fan for the most part. It's 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 threatening and menacing. It is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's ominous. It, like this show. It is. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. But I'm sure we will hand off the reins to a new generation. 